0: Welcome to Omnishambles, a podcast where we try to make sense of the Trump era, and to the extent that we can, help point you in the right direction as the week begins. I'm Jackie Kucinich, and I'm here with my co-host, Sam Stein. Hello. And this week, we're joined by Andrew Desiderio, the Daily Beast congressional correspondent, and Lachlan Marque who is on the White right. House. Be- wait, you booked Swin?
1: I thought you booked
2: Lachlan. How's it going? Oh, oh, no. shit. <sighs>
0: I mean inaugural episode. I not mean,
1: battle yeah. <laughs> for the podcast.
2: Lachlan's well, still on vacation. Well, in we Italy wanted,
0: right we now wanted now the
1: for... right White well, House correspondent. We have we have
0: Aswin soupsang here. He's the other White House <laughs> correspondent, and since he's here, we may as well use him.
1: Uh, How's it right. going, guys? Well, we've lost half our listeners already. Let's start with something a little bit more serious. So we come to you the day after Thanksgiving break, and we have a I don't want to call it a crisis. That overstates it probably. We have a real situation on the border. Over the weekend, the caravan, a group of migrants, have arrived in Tijuana, and now we have a skirmish around the San Diego area, and we had some rock throwing, we had some tear gas fired on these migrants. It's a pretty bad situation. It has the potential to escalate. And the reason we're starting with it is that it plays really well into what Donald Trump wants the focus to be on as we head out of Thanksgiving, which is, do we have a crisis situation on our border? Now, for those who are uninitiated, Donald Trump has been making this argument since prior to the election, and now he is also hinting that this is going to be a big, big, big focus of the lame duck session of Congress. So, Andrew, why don't you start us off? Just lay out what the situation is over the debate on border wall funding, which Trump has hinted that he may force a government shutdown over.
3: So December 7th is the deadline for the government funding bill. They need to basically pass seven different bills that would fund different parts of the government in order to avoid a complete and total government shutdown. Trump has every incentive at this point to push for as much border wall funding as he can possibly get. The House is going to turn to the Democrats starting in January, and he's going to have very few chances to get that money. So right now, he's going to try to use his allies in the House, as many as are left right now, to try to extract as much funding as possible. Okay, it brings up an interesting
1: question. He's had Republican Congress... For, what, almost two years now. Mm -hmm. Why hasn't he gotten the money already?
3: Because you need 60 votes in the Senate, and that means you need a lot of Democrats to vote for that type of funding. And at this point, they haven't been able to persuade enough Democrats to do that. Yeah, but the
1: House hasn't passed it either, right? They have. They have? Yeah. Full border wall funding? Not full, Okay. So why can't he get full
3: border wall funding? Can't get full border wall funding because there aren't majorities (laughs) and a plurality (laughs) in the Senate that want a border wall. So what's changed? Yeah, what's
1: going to make it any different this time around?
3: Trump's going to use it as sort of a bargaining chip and say, do you want a government shutdown or do you want to fund my border wall either fully or partially as much as he can extract and, out of that?
0: But Swin, why would he do this now instead of being able to blame it on Democrats next time? Because if nothing changed in the Senate, he probably can't mm-hmm. get it through there again. Why Put it on a Republican Congress again instead of using it as a way to bludgeon Democrats going into 2020.
2: I think he's going to be doing a lot of that going into 2020. But if we're to take the most powerful man in the world uh, at his word and at face value at the moment, we could say he's doing this because this is something he really, really, really wants. It's something he campaigned on. He considers it a top, if not so realistic, policy priority. And also, this isn't even the first time President Trump has threatened a government funding over his precious precious border wall you can almost set your watch to him threatening it there being a news cycle played out over it and then congressional leaders or whoever else around him getting him to dial it back does he
1: actually legitimately think this is a good policy or does he think it's a good political
2: pivot point for him Both things can be true at the same time. But no, this is something the president actually does believe in. I know we love to talk about how much, oh, Trump doesn't actually believe in anything but himself. But no, he and a fairly large constituency of the Republican Party think the border wall is a must and will keep America from going the way of, I don't know, some combination of Greece in its worst and (laughs) Venezuela in its
1: worst. I don't (laughs) know. Well, let's to get a sense of Venezuela, if you will. The longer
2: he
3: keeps it alive, the more politically palpable it will be for him.
1: Well, let's get a sense of just how serious it is. Let's play the first clip of him talking about the border wall shutdown
0: Uh, we're talking about the border wall border wall we're talking about uh, quite a big sum of money about five billion dollars and I think probably if I was ever going to do a shutdown over border security
2: when you look at the caravan when you look at the mess when you look at the
0: people coming in this would be a very good time to do a shutdown I don't think it's going to be necessary because I think the Democrats will come to their senses That's
1: the situation. I don't think any of us here think the Democrats will, borrow his phrase, come to their senses. So what happens on December 7th?
3: December 7th, you have a partial government shutdown. There's an emergency fund available for the Department of Homeland Security, if necessary, because Trump keeps talking about that in terms of keeping the border safe amid a quote unquote invasion. But that's what will happen. And they have basically until Christmas to resolve this, because then the new Congress comes in
1: on January 3rd. And he pushes again for a border wall in the next Congress. Sure. Sure. At the
3: next funding deadline. However many, they can punt it to January 10th if they want and make the new Congress have one week to do this.
1: For Jackie, I guess, why not try to make a bigger deal with immigration reform, right? Like, why not package this into something larger, a DACA fix in exchange for border funding, which was on the table at one point in time?
0: The president in the past has grabbed defeat out of the jaws of um, (laughs) victory, and that's a good example. They actually did have a deal on this. Democrats really were going to give away the store, if you talk to Democrats, in order to help DACA kids. And politically, the president his base went crazy. They didn't want kids who were brought into this country through no fault of their own by their parents, that is the DACA recipients, they didn't want them. That's my point,
1: right? Like, he h- likes his platonic ideal right. is to have, never have a border wall and exactly. always blame the Democrats and for not giving him the border. rally
3: wall. through 2020 to keep talking about the border wall as much as he possibly can and keep saying, we're building it. He says it in the present tense, as in like, we are currently building the wall.
1: We are not, that yeah. is not true. So that's my point, right? Like, he would rather have this as an issue than
2: as a policy. To Jackie's point about DACA kids and Many of them not actually kids anymore, but right. still. Right, but, but they, they, yeah, uh, some of
0: them are in their 30s. But. Right.
2: The explicit policy of this administration evinced by senior administration officials such as Stephen Miller, Trump's right-hand man when it comes to draconian immigration policy, is to reduce drastically the level of legal immigration. Right. So this isn't just a question of, oh, the migrant caravan, or, oh, illegal aliens or the border wall. That's just a starting point. So it's disingenuous almost for Team Trump to keep hiring right. yeah. on and on and on about illegal immigrants.
0: And just at the last point here, you you remind me, Swin, that in addition to putting a DACA fix in, the Republicans tacked on a bunch of these draconian policies trying to curb legal immigration in the bills that were in the House and the Senate the last time this was going through, which is one of the reasons that it now
1: we're now we're talking about drastic changes to asylum policy that they're trying to pursue here. So there is a huge overhaul of immigration policy writ large in a more conservative direction. Which brings me to topic two, um, which is sort of how the Republican Party has kind of moved a lot on this. People don't think that's the case, but Andrew was like six at the time. But after the 2012 election, they had a whole come to Jesus moment about immigration, right? They had just lost. Mitt Romney had just lost. And the consensus within the GOP was we need to be more open-minded to the idea of a larger tent in Hispanic voters.
3: Sean Hannity, the day after the 2012 election on his radio show, literally said exactly that.
0: And you guys have a piece about one of the biggest proponents of that new policy, and that was Marco Rubio.
1: The Rubio story I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, I know Rubio gets a lot of ink for whatever it is you want to say he's doing in the Trump era. But what I found interesting about Rubio is the degree, and this was, we we put the story up, it's sort of like, where is he going right now? Why is he acting the way he is? His Twitter persona now is hyper-aggressive, almost conspiratorial at times, heavy on media criticism, pushing ideas that Democrats are trying to steal the Florida election. So we wanted to sort of get a sense of what he was up to. And what I was surprised at is the degree to which people just assume that he is plotting Another presidential run in a post-Trump era crafting this image that is kind of Trump, but not really Trump. The White House kind of has warmed up to the guy.
2: Absolutely. And as everybody who was following the 2016 election wasn't living under a boulder knows, Marco Rubio and Donald Trump back in the day had a very famous war of words which included Marco Rubio making fun of the size of Donald Trump's penis and Donald Trump subsequently telling Marco Rubio and the American public on a presidential debate stage that actually he's very well endowed. So,
1: (sighs) (laughs) memories. what it is. Exactly.
2: (laughs) So, flash forward two or three years, Donald Trump is leader of the free world and Marco Rubio is one of those Republican lawmakers who very explicitly said, for many months during the 2016 election, Donald Trump is erratic. He's a crazy person. We cannot give this man the nuclear launch codes. He'll be an utter disaster for conservatism and also the country and world. He has very accurately calculated that Trumpism itself, not just Donald Trump, because right. Donald Trump can only be president for eight years or so, but- uh, Are you sure? Four to eight years. We'll
1: <laughs> see. I'm going with 12, maybe We've 16.
2: Already, I'll bet you all the Chinese lunches <laughs> on that. So, Marco Rubio has calculated- As basically the rest of the GOP has, that Trumpism isn't going away and that to forge a future in this Republican Party, if you don't want to be someone like Donald Trump or a Steve King or a Stephen Miller, you have to have some sort of fusion with that and what sort of the quote unquote mainstream Republican establishment was before June 2015. Has he pulled it off? Well, I mean, it remains to be seen. In right. Donald Trump's eyes, Marco Rubio has certainly pulled that off. Yeah,
1: Trump uh, said, "What? I don't call him little Marco anymore. <laughs> I, don't,
2: I don't call him little
1: Marco anymore. Uh, <laughs>
0: Until he's mad at him again. Right, right exactly. That's,
1: it's all It's all fleeting. That's the problem. What's Rubio's reputation on the Hill?
3: Well, look, I think he's trying to use as much leverage as he possibly can <laughs> at this point. I mean, you see on foreign policy, he's trying to stake out a name for himself on issues relating to China, Venezuela, Cuba, things like that. But also he's trying to use leverage that he might have on foreign policy issues, but also to Swin's point, he's trying to survive in the Republican Party. He definitely wants to run for president again in like twenty twenty four or twenty eight or something like that. So he's trying to survive right now in the party and then I guess strategically pivot off of Donald Trump. And the way you survive right now is to do what he's doing right now and in, in adopting certain parts of Trumpism that are more popular now within the Republican Party than they were during the twenty sixteen primary.
1: I don't know, Do you guys think that anyone who is like a true MAGA Trump believer, will ever be won over by Mark Rubio. Don't they think of him as sort of transparently phony?
0: It's a really good question. Lindsey Graham has managed to really reform his reputation with the MAGA crowd. Let's not forget of all the nasty things that Lindsey Graham said about Donald Trump in the lead up to the 2016 election when he was an opponent of the president. And he's managed to ingratiate himself to the base and now has become some kind of MAGA warrior. It's about this
3: perception of loyalty, right? It has little to do with policy it, and yeah, ideology so weird and things like that. Yeah,
0: because
1: I guess for—this is just utter speculation, but people look at Lindsey Graham and they say, well, he's not positioning himself to benefit once Trump ends or falls.
3: He's treading like, water. Trying to have a say.
1: Trying to have a say. Yeah. Whereas with Rubio, people are like, this is insincere and he is just trying to position himself insincerely to ingratiate himself with Well, his, crowd.
3: his brand of conservatism lost out and lost out big time in the 2016 right. presidential primary so, so the direction oh, remind of the party
0: that Mark Rubio was a tea party candidate right. yeah. way back yeah, yeah, in the day no, 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 no. Exactly,
1: it's, yeah. it's, and then
0: the other element
1: of this and we can move on after this is Mark Rubio hired all these heritage guys which uh, a lot of people were speculating about why he would do something like that because the heritage crowd doesn't necessarily get along with the Trump crowd. And there's a whole different variation of conservatism here. And so people are just kind of wondering what moves Mark Ruby is making. Anyways, go read the piece. It's probably going to win a Pulitzer. We don't, <laughs> I'm not going to bank on it, but it probably will piece. win. Thank you. Composition of the Senate, I should say, as a pivot here, not yet finished. There could potentially be one less Republican senator. Very unlikely. But we're talking about the Mississippi runoff election, which happens tomorrow.
0: So. It's an impressively bad candidate and the incumbent. Why don't you senator give us the now Cindy Hyde Smith. So Cindy Hyde um, Smith is the incumbent. And she was appointed after Thad Cochran, who was a senator from Mississippi, stepped aside. He retired. So since she has started running for reelection, she wasn't able to get enough votes in a runoff. They have a jungle primary there. So now she's in this runoff with Mike Espy, who's a former congressman, former Clinton administration official who was convicted of remind me here, Samuel? remember. He was not, uh, convicted, not charged. convicted? Charged charged. Charged. Excuse me.
3: charged yeah. Various, corruption, various elements of crime He was acquitted. Yeah. yeah.
0: Now he's running for Senate against Cindy Hyde Smith. And well, let's just play the sound of Cindy Hyde Smith. I would
1: find a, like a public hanging <laughs> She it likes she. him so much.
0: She likes him so much, she would sit next to him in the front row of a public hanging.
1: Ha 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 uh,
0: ha. Yeah. So after that, other parts of Cindy Hydesmith's background started coming to light, that she went to a segregationist girls a- academy, academy girls called, academy. High school, yeah. And, but then sent her own daughter to one of those academies. Yeah. So it become extremely problematic for her. Andrew. She's pictured in exactly. Confederate you know, garb. Yeah. She, you know, she
3: sponsored a resolution to say that this guy who was a Confederate soldier was, quote, defending the homeland, right, things right. like that. So obviously Mississippi is a state with a very complicated, racial past. Seems to
1: understate it a little bit. Yeah,
3: exactly. So these things obviously don't help her but another factor here is that in Mississippi, you have the highest percentage of black residents of any state in the country, right? And that's something that Democrats can use to their advantage. Obviously, Mike Espy is African-American himself, and when the Republican is making these types of racially charged, racially insensitive statements, that could be something that they use. The issue is, this is a runoff. It's two weeks after the general election. You know, A lot of people didn't know that they had to actually go out and vote again. Right. You could mobilize new voters. Honestly, anything could happen tomorrow. I'm not putting this in the bag for Cindy Hyde-Smith because I think if Democrats were smart two weeks ago when this turned to a runoff, they would have started two weeks ago in mobilizing, especially the African-Americans, just like Doug Jones' right. campaign did in Alabama to a lesser extent.
1: It's not apples to apples here. Obviously, no. Roy Moore was accused of well, things, pedophilia almost. And Cindy Hyde-Smith is... Oh, definitely
0: pedophilia. <laughs> 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 definitely, He was definitely... Pedophilia
2: adjacent. Yeah,
1: something, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. That's not what's happening with Cindy Hyde-Smith. But what I've been struck by is the degree to which she has turned utterly toxic as a politician within the span of a week and a half. You probably could not have named her two weeks ago. No one could have picked her out of a lineup. Suddenly, she's now a toxic figure and corporations are getting an intense amount of pressure to disassociate with her and get their money back from her. So over the past couple of weeks, we've seen Walmart, AT&T, Major League Baseball all be pushed to ask for their donations to her back. And I think, I guess, it's important for the listener to understand why these corporations are making these donations in the first place, because the Public perception is that these corporations really like Cindy Hyde-Smith, that they've just been exposed. But that's not really the case.
0: They really like power. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) and and, influence. And And so, you know, a lot of incumbent senators get... Bags of money from corporations. I mean, I'm sure if you go through Coca Cola, any major corporation, Amazon, did all the federal
1: pack gives a check yes, to an incumbent. That
0: is what they do. That is the American political system that we live in right now.
1: So MLB decides they want their money back. Why? Just too much?
3: Well, obviously they were getting a lot of backlash after it was first reported. The donation came in November twenty third, that was Friday. And you think about all the controversies that have come up ever since then. This wasn't a donation that was made like two months ago to her campaign. This was something that happened well after all these controversies were on the front page. So that's one factor. And I think the secondary factor is just like the public perception and the PR issue here. They face a lot of public pressure, obviously. And I think the smart move communications wise is to give the money back. And
1: I think this has been a tactic that Democrats have used pretty effectively in the Trump era, which is we don't have power, but we do have the ability to publicly shame. And so you saw this with the president's business council and his advisory councils where basically there was a movement to say you have to step down. Like you
2: cannot be part of that. And to some degree it worked. Sure. And yet with all of this, guess who isn't cutting the umbilical cord? It's President Donald J. Trump. Right. And his team. the well, why would he? Right, exactly. <laughs> the president is going to still be fairly aggressively campaigning for this candidate. Two rallies tonight. And the president very recently, with his all-powerful and mighty Twitter feed, sent a missive of support for her. Although it was kind of funny and looked, if we we're to read the tea leaves, looked a little bit irregular compared to some of the president's True. other tweet endorsements. It kind of sounded like he opened a door, yelled, vote for her, and shut it very quickly, <laughs> and then sent that in the form of a tweet. All but right. still, Team Trump is all in for this candidate, as they were for yeah, Roy Moore, which Trump, is utterly predictable.
1: Right. And yeah, though. I mean, they, they look at it as a numbers game. They need, you know, one more but vote in the Senate one Zindia- more vote in the Senate. Senate.
3: Even if Cindy Hyde-Smith wins tomorrow, right. the margin will be 53 to 47, which, given how favorable the map was for Republicans going into this year, that's kind of pathetic that they were only able to pick up two seats. All right.
1: Well, we have a little time left. I want to talk about Trump and power and his you know, relationship with it. He's Speaking
0: got of Team Trump. <laughs> Team
1: Trump. Was that a good segue? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so two former Trump aides, not White House, but campaign aides, are out with the book, Corey Lewandowski and David Bossie. The book is I don't even know how to Why why did they write this book?
2: Well, it's a sequel to their barn burner that came out, (laughs) I think, about a year ago called Let Trump Be Trump, also by David Bossy and Corey Lewandowski, who, of course, are two former, very senior campaign aides to then-future President Trump. And I think their sequel is also called Let Trump Be Trump. I I forget (laughs) the title. It's like Let Trump Be Trump Part Deux or something. Uh, (laughs) They came out with the first one. To, is it really called I No, do, I, it's not. No, I, I don't think it is. Think
1: um, called, like, if you're looking on Amazon.com right now, do not Google okay? I, so I, I believe it's called
0: Trump's Enemies. <laughs> How the Deep State is Undermining the President. A love letter. No, I'm kidding. It, 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 that, that, that last part is not in it. It, it stops with so sure. presidency. Um,
2: but <laughs> this book is a lot like the first book in the sense that Bossy and Lewandowski, who were calling bossy Dasky. Sure. For the sake of expedience? Okay. Are Using it largely not only to give a big, fat, wet kiss to President Trump and tell him, yo, we're still your loyalists and your top outside defenders, but also to settle old scores. And what are the old scores? Well, for this new book, they go after people like... White House Chief of Staff, John
0: Kelly. We have have a clip of that, actually.
2: And the management style that John implemented when he became the Chief of Staff was one
3: where to limit the access to the president to make sure that there is protocols and procedures. And I I think, candidly, that that was needed when he came into the White House. But I also think you have a president who wants access to individuals, who wants to take phone calls. And in our book, look, we interview him, and he says, nobody calls me. I don't get my messages. (laughs)
2: They got to sit down with Trump for the book. Yeah, where's our sit down? Yeah, what the hell, Trump? But something important to keep in mind about this president is the wellspring of advice he gets, not just on policy, but on rhetoric and policy, or even something as granular as the tone of a tweet it doesn't just come from people around him who are on the federal payroll. Some of the most constant streams of substantive advice that this president gets on a weekly, if not daily basis, comes from outside advisors, people right. like Fox hosts, like Lou Dobbs or Sean Hannity, or people like former advisors like Lewandowski and Bossy, Bossi dowski Are you
1: suggesting that arguably they have as much, if not more, influence
2: on the presidency than John Kelly as chief of staff? At least as much, probably more, and definitely more than other senior administration officials and other senior advisors. And why
0: is that? Yeah,
2: like
1: why have a chief of staff if you're going to just take direction from Fox News hosts? Well,
2: I mean, I don't have to tell anybody in this room that Donald Trump is a rather untraditional president. (laughs) We wrote a story at the Daily Beast earlier this year about how he's literally had Fox business host Lou Dobbs on speakerphone during senior staff meetings in the Oval Office. So this is a president who greatly values using people on the outside as sounding boards, and especially when they're people bootlickers. Let me rephrase the question then.
1: Why does Corey Lewandowski, who clearly loves Trump or pretends to Mm -hmm. really love Trump, why does he not just be part of the White House? Because
2: too many people on the inside loathe him. Since when has Trump ever cared about that? It's not exactly just Trump or the people around him. I think Corey himself understands that he can have more of an impact by operating on the outside. He's already has a very, very close proximity to power. He works closely with the vice president's team and will have an outsized role, even if he's not officially on it, on the 2020 reelection campaign. And he still talks to Trump a lot. He's in a position to influence a lot and know a lot. He's just not constrained by all these rules that people who work for the federal government are bound by. This so-
1: gets back to my theory that the most powerful person in all of the country is the person who writes the Chirons for Fox and Friends. Just clearly. <laughs> all right. We're gonna close with a segment. I'm gonna read you a headline and you have to guess if it's the onion or if it's real news.
0: I haven't seen these, so, so just, you're just all so we're so clear. All right. <clears throat> I don't know we'd be
1: doing this. Well, if I had told you, you would have researched and so it would have been <laughs> All right, here's the first one. Sweden Braces for Migrant Caravan of Norwegian Bitcoin Miners I think that's real what do you think fake news
0: and I don't know (laughs) (laughs) you gotta choose one, Draghi yeah, it's real, why not it's real damn it, (laughs) Swin, you're terrible because I I think I heard something about that actually over the weekend (laughs) All right,
1: here's another one Elon Musk is pretty sure he's going to die on Mars real fake fake real wow damn all Never right. underestimate <laughs> lot. <Elon. laughs> all right. Last one. Cyber Monday retailers pull in record 700 terabytes of consumers' personal information.
0: That has to be real, right?
2: I barely fake, know what a terabyte fake. is. Real. It's fake. Damn it. I Damn, think you all
3: missed I hate this on one. Game. 700 terabytes is not a lot, considering how much data is going to be poured into the internet today.
1: they dark. all right on that note thank Thank you you for for listening listening to the inaugural episode of omni shambles you can find us at thedailybeast.com apple podcast and google play and tune in next week when we do our second episode till then thanks bye
2: in terms of daca in terms of border wall in terms of legal immigration this isn't actually about sorry sam did you no 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 go 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 sorry
0: sam is rapping i'm rapping you
1: (laughs) Okay. You know, you're not supposed to read the stage directions
2: out loud. Well, this is a podcast. (laughs) You know, they they can clip things with the magical digital that we have nowadays. We're a no-edit podcast, so. Oh, sweet. I wish you'd told me that before I agreed to this. Finish your thought.
1: You're a fucking only shambles. That's what you are. You're like that coffee machine, you know. From bean to cup, you fuck up.